0: Well, we're beginning a sermon series on the 10 Commandments this morning. Last week, we wrapped up our series on the life of Moses. And if you were here for that series, and if you were here on the week that we covered Exodus 20, you might be thinking, okay, we already did the 10 Commandments. The 10 Commandments is a big, important part right at the center of the story of the life of Moses. And so we should ask the question, why? One of the best questions to ask in general, I think not just a question for toddlers, although they love that question, The question I like to ask at the beginning of every sermon series, why this topic, okay? Why spend this summer thinking about the 10 Commandments? And one answer that we could give is because Jesus valued the 10 Commandments. The 10 Commandments mattered to Jesus. In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus is affirming and expounding upon the 10 Commandments. And so what we see is at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, the true and better Moses, goes up onto a mountainside to recommunicate God's commandments to God's people. Now let me ask you this. Does that seem just a little bit problematic to you? Okay. Does that seem problematic based on what we know about the main message of Christianity? What is the central message, the central truth of Christianity? What is the gospel? The gospel is... Jesus saves. The gospel is, in a word, grace. And so then the question that we ask is, law or grace? Is the the point of Christianity obeying God's commandments or saved by grace? And so before we dive into any of the specific commandments in this series, we're gonna take a step back and we're gonna ask that question. Why the law at all? If the gospel, if grace, Why then the law? If the heart message of Christianity is salvation by grace alone through faith in Jesus, then why is the Bible so full of laws, commandments, and moral imperatives? In our Moses series, you might have noticed we conveniently skipped the book of Leviticus. Nobody ever does a sermon series on the book of Leviticus, not to mention kind of the second half of Exodus, most of the second half of Exodus, most of Numbers and Deuteronomy, huge portions of Moses' books, the first five in the Bible, are filled with laws, civil, ceremonial, and moral code. And God's people, the nation of Israel, lived in reference to that code for the rest of Old Testament history. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, very early in his ministry, he says outright, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, the most meticulous lawkeepers of all time, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't come to erase or to overthrow the law. He came to affirm it. And yet... We say that Christianity, rightly understood, is a message of grace, of forgiveness, of freedom. If you have put your faith in Jesus by God's grace, you are completely and irrevocably righteous. And what that means is that there is nothing that you could do to make him love you less because his love for you isn't based on your performance or good behavior, and there's nothing that you could do to make him love you more because he already loves you abundantly, extravagantly, infinitely. So why the law? Why then the law? If the gospel is about grace, why does the Bible include the Ten Commandments? Why does it include so much law? That's what we're gonna try to figure out this morning. Now I wanna make a big statement here right at the outset, okay? This is a big statement, but I think that it is true. I wanna suggest to you that most of the most common and damaging misunderstandings about Christianity have to do with bad or at least incomplete answers to this question, why the law? If you pay attention, I think that you'll see that it's true. Okay, most of the misunderstandings about what Christianity is, about what it means to be a Christian, have to do with inaccurate ideas about the law, about morality, about commandments in the Bible. And that's true at a societal level as well as an individual level. Many of our culture's criticisms of Christianity have to do with people having experienced bad answers to this question. And so maybe you've heard someone say, and I don't think it's entirely unfair for them to say this, you Christians are so self-righteous. Right? You think that you're better than everyone else. Right? But deep down, you're hypocrites. You never really practice what you preach. Or maybe it's why do Christians hate gay people so much? They want to inflict an antiquated, oppressive morality on an enlightened, liberated, modern world. And hey, they pay a lot of attention to the sexuality rules of the Old Testament, but you notice that they all eat bacon and they all wear mixed material fabrics on their clothes and they ignore all of the weird stuff. What's the deal with that? Misunderstandings about the role of law in the Bible. And chances are, in your own individual faith journey, you have been impacted by incomplete answers to this question as well. And in fact, it might be that many of the world's misconceptions about Christianity are due in part Not entirely, but in part to the fact that followers of Jesus are not always able to articulate and live out of a wise, winsome, nuanced answer to this question, why the law? Let me set forward a thought experiment here to begin, Okay, and pay attention to this. This is really gonna be the framework that kind of guides the rest of our considerations this morning. Okay, Here is the question that I want you to think about. Would you rather have a parent who says as long as you do a reasonably good job keeping my rules, I will love you. Or a parent who says, because I love you, I don't care if you follow the rules. Let me say it again, okay, and really think about it, all right, try to inhabit these two options, okay. Would you rather have a parent who says, as long as you keep my rules, I'll accept you and I'll love you. Or a parent who says, because I already accept you and love you, it doesn't matter to me whether you keep my rules. Which one would you choose? Neither, right? The right answer is no, right? (laughs) Neither, we know that a parent who said and really meant either one of those things would be terrible because neither of those is real love. Maybe you had a friend growing up who experienced the painful ramifications of one of those ways of parenting or maybe that's part of your own story. If you lived with the idea mom or dad's presence with me and pleasure in me is entirely based on my performance, then you probably spent your childhood going back and forth between relentless drivenness to make them love you and approve of you and despair and rebellion because you couldn't make them love the real imperfect you. But alternatively, if you had a sense of dad and mom seem to be generally careless about what I do, about what my grades are, about where I'm spending my weekend nights, then even if they said that they loved you, deep down, you had your doubts. That love felt shallow because it wasn't the sort of love that would snatch you back from self-destruction and take your life seriously. Now those two concepts of unloving parenting correspond with the two most common misunderstandings about commandments in the Bible. As we seek to walk the way of the Christian life, there are two ditches on either side that we can slip into. The first is called legalism. Okay, legalism, all those laws are in the Bible because God's acceptance and love for me depends on how well I obey them. And the result of legalism is either ruthless drivenness or despair. Self-righteous pride when we think that we're doing well or at least better than most other people. Right? And fear and avoidance when we know that we're falling short. But the other ditch, the opposite era, error, Okay, and here, here's your $10 theology word for the morning. The opposite error is called antinomianism. Okay, If legalism means lawism, antinomianism just means anti-lawism. Okay? Because God loves me no matter what, He's not really concerned with what I do, whether I obey, how I live, and so I don't need to be too concerned about it either. And the problem with that is that a love that doesn't care about what we do isn't love at all. Over time, anti-law living leaves us feeling confused and empty and alone. And so we find that both legalism and antinomianism, both lawism and no lawism, are ultimately anti-love. They're ultimately anti-relational. Okay, now here's the essential truth for today's sermon and the essential truth for this entire 10 Commandments series, okay? So hold on to this and keep reminding yourself of this over and over again as we go through this series. The essence of the Christian life, what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion is that relationship always precedes rules, not vice versa. With Jesus, relationship precedes and actually enables our obedience, not the other way around. And therefore, gospel grace has to precede how we understand biblical morality, how we understand the 10 Commandments. Both legalism and anti-lawism are inherently anti-relational. They drive us away from God and from other people. And I think every religion and moral philosophy that the world has ever come up with ultimately falls into one of those two errors. But the gospel puts love before law and that changes everything. Jesus came into the world saying, I am the Son of God and I am here to introduce you to my Father. He's a good father whose love for you is not based on your deserving or your earning or your performance. And he's a good father who loves you so much that he is committed to transforming you into something better, someone more beautiful and whole and integrated and alive. The call to obedience flows out of that relationship. Obedience is not a prerequisite for our relationship with God. It is the fullest expression and enjoyment of our relationship. With God. Okay. Now, what that means practically is that the law portions of the Bible have different uses based on how you know Jesus. Theologians talk about different uses of the law depending on where a person stands in relation to Jesus. And so the first use is what we might call the pre-Jesus or the apart from Jesus use of the law. Or as it relates to us, we could call it the futility condition of the law. Okay, and Galatians 3 is the Bible's best explanation of this first use. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the one should come to whom the promise referred. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What that passage is saying is if you are counting on your own works of obedience to make you right with God, then you should read the law in the Bible and be very, very concerned god's true standard of righteousness should stun and humble us and over the coming weeks i think it might be possible to pick and choose like a few of the commandments and say okay i've never murdered anyone all right i don't steal and lie very often i haven't committed literal adultery all right? okay do not covet be reasonable god we live in south charlotte okay but most of them i'm doing pretty well right but If you take an honest look at yourself in light of the Ten Commandments, and if you hear Jesus expounding them in the Sermon on the Mount and saying, these apply not only to your external behavior, but the secret back alleyways of your heart as well. You should be stunned by God's righteousness and your own sin in comparison. And this is why when C.S. Lewis was asked by a friend how he felt about the Sermon on the Mount, he said, As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? (laughs) I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a person who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. If you can go through this Ten Commandments series and have tranquil pleasure and confidence in your ability to achieve God's standard of righteousness in the Bible, that is a deadly spiritual condition and I want to say this with as much love and gentleness as I can if you are here this morning and you think that Christianity is primarily about being a good person and doing a reasonably decent job of following God's rules so that he will bless you in this life and let you into heaven in the next one then I pray that this series knocks you on your face like a spiritual sledgehammer this is the apart from Jesus use of the law It's kind of like if someone said to you, you are invited to a feast in the penthouse of this 100-story skyscraper and then leaned a ladder against the side of the building. The sooner that you give up on climbing and find the elevator, the better. Now, the second, okay, that's the bad news, all right? (laughs) The second use of the law We can call the in Jesus use. Here comes the good news, okay? And Romans 3 is the Bible's explanation of this one. Martin Luther, the theologian Martin Luther called Romans 3 the center and the turning point of the whole Bible. And pay attention to the turning point about halfway through this passage with the words, but now, okay? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay, there's that first use, that apart from Jesus, that futility point. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see that? Righteousness, rightness with God apart from the law, but the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They were pointing to it. They were foreshadowing Jesus. They were telling us the story before Jesus came. Righteousness through faith in him. Redemption, reconciliation, relationship, in and through Jesus. Obedience to God's law was the reason that Jesus lived for 30 years as a human being before he died on the cross. Okay, it's really important. Jesus didn't just teleport down and die on the cross for our sins and then teleport back up. He lived more than 30 years of a human life as a real human being like you and me. And from start to finish in all that he did his whole life Jesus obeyed both the letter and the spirit of the Ten Commandments to earn perfect righteousness for you. Remember what he said at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In, this li- in his life, he fulfilled lawful obedience perfectly and entirely for you. And he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whose righteousness far exceeds that of even the most meticulous law followers? Only Jesus. His righteousness is infinitely better than anything that you or I could earn. And he offers it to us as a gift. Stop trying to earn something better and receive the gift of his infinite righteousness. This is the in Jesus use of the law the fulfillment condition. When we read the 10 commandments as we go through this 10 commandments series God's standard of holiness with every word we should get a growing sense of worship and gratitude and joy towards Jesus. Do you see how beautiful he is? Right how full of integrity and life He lived radiantly holy, but he was never boring or prudish. He fulfilled the law completely. He lived out perfect righteousness, and he was the most compassionate, warm, interesting, adventurous, gentle, strong, vibrant, delightful human that has ever lived. See how wonderful he is, how worthy he is of our praise, the resplendently righteous one, become our gracious redeemer. Lastly, the final use of the law, we could call this the with Jesus use of the law, the flourishing condition. As we live with Jesus by his holy spirit, the law becomes a gift for our flourishing, and if you'll tolerate a mixed metaphor, it's kind of weird but I think it's useful, okay? The, the law goes from being a ladder to being a lattice to being a trellis. Okay? The law goes is transformed from being a ladder that's meant to remind us that we cannot climb to God's righteousness to a trellis that gives direction to the organic flourishing of our lives. The law is not a ladder for earning righteousness, it's a framework for our flourishing and freedom in relationship with God and other people. And that brings us full circle back to Mount Sinai. Look at what God promises his people in Exodus 19 before giving them the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Okay, so pay attention to the order there. The salvation event has already happened, and the relationship is already established. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, Peter, in his, in his letter, 1 Peter, in chapters 1 and 2, he takes those same descriptors, right, treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation, and he applies them to Christians. He applies them to you and I, and he says the way that you discover this and live this out is to grow in obedience to your Father. Right. At Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, God doesn't say, as long as you keep these commandments, I'll accept you and love you nor does he say because i have already saved you and i will always love you i don't care if you keep these commandments and instead he says i've got big plans i have big plans for us to make you holy and whole and beautiful and powerful and to use you to change and bless the world and this is what that looks like do you see how this understanding of the law love preceding and enabling obedience is inherently relational Right? It is relationship reinforcing, because when you fail because of Jesus, you can come immediately back to your father and receive mercy and reassurance and restoration. Right? But when you succeed, when you see yourself growing in obedience, you can come to your father and say, thank you for the Holy Spirit. You come with gratitude and with awe because the Spirit is really alive and working in you. So in failure or success, right, in growth and in setbacks, the point is relationship. The point is flourishing in relationship with God. Now to conclude, I want to issue a challenge to two groups of people in the room, Okay, two types of people in the room, to Christians and to non-Christians. Okay, And actually to the non-believers in the room, if you're here this morning and you don't identify as a Christian, if you're skeptical about the claims of Christianity, okay, we're glad that you're here. It's good that you're here. Okay, And I actually want to kind of issue an apology, right? which is if you have interacted with someone who called themselves a Christian, but led you to believe that the definition of Christianity was someone who keeps the rules well enough that God likes them more than other people, then I wanna tell you that is not the truth about Christianity. That is not what Jesus was like. That is not what the Father is like, okay? In other words, legalism is not true about Christianity. God's love for you is not based on your performance, and Christians aren't the ones who have it figured out and are more righteous than all the other people, okay? But the challenge that I want to issue to you is, is it possible that in the same way that legalism within the church has hurt people's understanding of what God is like, that antinomianism about morality outside of the church has hurt our standing, understanding of what God is like? What I mean by that is, is it possible that our culture's rejection of the idea that there is a real God who really cares about the moral well-being of people is the reason why there is so much depression and anxiety and loneliness and hurt and despair in the world that we live in. The two truths that the world needs for hope and for healing are that because of Jesus, God doesn't love you based on your performance, but also because of Jesus, God loves you enough to not leave you in sin and despair. He wants to transform you. Now for the Christians in the room Here's my challenge to you, as we go through this series, remember and rehearse these uses of the law in your own life, okay? Go through this story with each commandment, with each individual commandment. I couldn't, Jesus did, we get to, right? Futility, fulfillment, flourishing. When we were helpless, to fulfill God's law, his righteous demands on our own, Jesus did everything necessary to make us right with God. And now in him, by the power of his spirit, we get to flourish in relationship with God and one another. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like if a community were really transformed by the beauty and the flourishing in the Ten Commandments? What that would be like, how healing and joyful that would be. And one day you will get to see it my prayer is that we get a taste of it as we go through the series. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your 10 commandments. And we thank you that you are a good father who loves us based on your grace and your mercy who loves us, based on what Jesus has accomplished for us, that you have reconciled us to yourself and there's nothing we can do to make you love us less. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. And we thank you that you're a good and loving Father who won't leave us where we are, but who desires flourishing, healing, joy, beauty, holiness for us. My prayer is that as we go through this 10 Commandments series, as you remind us of your commands, in your word, that we would never think about them apart from relationship. Lord, that you would help us to remember the relationship we have with you, and that would be all of our motivation and inspiration for growing in obedience. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.